This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. guys. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. If you are new uh, here today, we are in a series on the book of Romans. We're just kind of walking through uh, verse by verse through um, just one of the greatest books in the Bible. And we have come this morning to uh, chapter 12, which is sort of a, a new section in the, the letter really for the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, Paul has been uh, talking about the, the mercies of God and, and what God has done for us in Christ. And now we're going to kind of transition today because in chapters 12 through 16, he's kind of talking about what we are to do in light of what God has done. So, Chapters 12 through 16 of Romans are really about living out of the mercies of, of God. And so we're going we're gonna to begin really kind of a, a new section of, of the letter today. And the first two verses of chapter 12 really lay the foundation for the remainder of, of the letter. They're very, very important. So we're going to camp on chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 today. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we look at it together. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 947, um, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2. We're we're asking the question today, what is Christian commitment? What is Christian commitment? Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare to dig into your word right now, we we ask that uh, by the power of your spirit that that you would uh, give us um, just the grace to... uh, to really drown out all the, all the noise, everything kind of uh, out, outside of, of, of here and uh, what we were doing before we came into this room, what we're going to be doing afterwards. Lord, give us the grace to really focus on your word today that, that we might hear from you. Lord, this is a precious, precious time uh, when we get to, to open up our Bibles we pray that by your grace you would open up our minds and our, and our hearts. And what an incredible opportunity that we have right now to just in, be encountered by you 
and the power of your spirit working through your word. So Lord, we, we don't wanna we don't wanna miss anything that you would desire to to say to us this morning. Lord, so give us just the grace right now to uh, to lock in and to be, be ready to hear from you. And we ask it in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Some of you uh, maybe associate um, certain passages in the Bible with certain milestones in your spiritual lives. Kent Hughes was for many years the pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and he's been a, a big influence on my life through his writings But Kent tells about something that happened at a Christian camp when he was 13 years old. And he had had been a believer for about a year, but was struggling with his commitment, struggling to live out his faith at school and and at home. Um, And so he was at this camp, and it was in California, it was in the Sequoia National Forest. And so he was sitting there one day on a fallen tree, talking to his pastor and kind of pouring out his heart about his struggle to be more committed to the Lord. And it was at that point that they, they opened the Bible and together they, they walked through the two verses that we're going to look at today and talking about what Christian commitment is all about. What is Christian commitment? I think that, that term commitment gets thrown around in our culture probably way too loosely. But what does a real commitment to Jesus look like? So what we see in these first couple of verses of chapter 12 is we see the basis of commitment, what it's, what it's founded upon. We see the character of commitment what it looks like, we see the commands of commitment. There's a very specific negative command here and a very specific positive command. And then we see the effect of commitment to Jesus. The first thing that we see is the basis of commitment. The, the basis of commitment. What is it, what is it founded upon? Let's, let's check out uh, verse one. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So before Paul tells us what a commitment to Jesus entails, he tells us what that commitment springs from. It springs from the mercies of God. This is a point of transition in this letter because for 11 chapters, he's really been talking about the mercies of God. I mean, for 11 chapters, it's, it's been like, you know, Paul's had this treasure chest of gospel mercies and he's been bringing out these treasures. one by one, taking them out of this treasure chest and putting them on display. So so what are these mercies of God that we've been looking at as we've been walking through the letter? Just to kind of review. So in chapter one and verses one through 17, after introducing himself to the church at Rome, Paul gives the theme 
of the book of Romans, which is really the gospel. Gospel means good news. And he, and he tells us there in verses 16 and 17 of, of chapter 1 that he is not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, the theme of Romans is that there is a way for sinners like us to be made right with a holy God, to be given a right standing before a holy God. And then from chapter 1 and verse 18 through chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul is telling us about why we desperately need a right standing before a holy God. It's because we are unrighteous people. And he tells us there from 118 to 320 that every human being, Jew and Gentile alike, that all of us are locked up under sin, desperately in need of a savior. And then from 321 through chapter five, he tells us about that savior that has been provided and the right standing before God that we can have through Jesus. And he, and he, he shows us how that, that, that Jesus has lived the perfect life that we could never live, and that he died for our sins on the cross and rose from the dead, and that by turning to him in repentance and faith, that his perfect record of righteousness can be credited to our account so that we can have a right standing before a holy God and be forgiven and free. And then in chapters six through eight, he tells us about the new identity that we have in Christ, that we are new creations in Christ. And he tells us that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for him. And then in chapters nine through 11, he shows us that we are chosen by grace and that God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises to us, to the whole body of Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. So for 11 chapters, he's been bringing out these mercies of God out of the treasure chest, this gospel treasure chest. Now, he says at the beginning of chapter 12, okay, in view of that, in view of God's mercy, in view of these incredible mercies of God, how should we then live? And that's what, that's what the rest of Romans is really about. And he's laying the foundation in, in these two um, verses. Now, Paul, in his letters, this is typically what he does. The first part of, of his letters are generally about what, what God has done for us. And then the second part of the letter is about what we are to do in light of what he has done. And so you see this pattern in other letters, for instance, in Ephesians, okay? The first six, six chapters in Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are about what God has done for us in Christ. And then chapters four through six, are about what we are to do. And so at the beginning of chapter four of Ephesians, there's the same kind of, of transition. There's a therefore there. 
And so he says, therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the chapters four through six of Ephesians are about how to live it out, about our walk with the Lord. Okay, that's, he's doing the same thing here in Romans at the beginning of chapter 12. In in view of these incredible mercies of what God has done for us, here's here's what we're to do. Here here is how we are to live this out. Here's how we are to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we have been called in in Christ. Now, there's a reason Paul does this. The reason that Paul in his letters wants us to first understand the mercies of God, what God has done for us in Jesus is because we have to have that foundation in order to live it out. If we try to, if we try to live out a commitment to Jesus and we don't have an adequate understanding of his mercies, then we can run into all kinds of problems. Yeah, I experienced some of this in my own walk with the, the Lord. Some of you have heard me share this before, but you know, I, was, I came to Christ as a, a child, but then uh, toward the end of my time in high school, God just did a really radical work in my life, and I was just on fire for the Lord, and I just, I wanted to live for him. But you know, the, 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 the more the more that I tried to live out my faith, the, the, the closer that I tried to get to God, the more sensitive I became to my own sin. That's, that's the way it should be, right? The closer that we get to the Lord, the, the, you know, the, the, more, the more sensitive we are to our own failures and, and shortcomings and and sins, and, and that was certainly the case with me. And, I, and I, I started to become very aware, you know, not just of my external sins, but internal sins, like just sins in my, in my thought life and, and things like that. Um, and the trouble was, at, at that point, um, what I really needed to know was, was that, you know, God loved me and accepted me based on what Jesus had already done for me. I, I really needed a, a kind of a, a deeper understanding of what, of what Christ had already accomplished on my behalf and that, that God had adopted me as his child and that he loved me and, and he accepted me not on the basis of, of my performance, which was always gonna be imperfect, but on the basis of the performance of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And, and so... You know, because at that point I was still trying to put a lot of those pieces together, uh, I really struggled for a while. I, I struggled with kind of uh, uh, perfectionism. I, I struggled a lot with, I had a lot of self, self-condemnation and things because I knew I was falling short, but what I really needed to know was I, I needed to go deeper into the gospel. I, I needed to understand in a, in, a, in a deeper way what Jesus had already done for me. Because if we, don't, if we don't get that, then you know what? It's just gonna drain our joy, our motivation 
is gonna get mixed up because listen, when you understand the mercies of God, then your motivation for commitment is not to you know, try to gain a right standing before God because you know you've already been given that. You're not really trying to gain anything. You, you know you've already been given everything in Jesus. Your motivation is because you, you, you love God and you love him because he's first loved you. And so your whole commitment is just flowing out of the gospel and the, your understanding of the, the mercies of God. And so it's crucial that we get this order straight and that we understand before we dive into what commitment entails, that we understand what it springs from. The basis of it. It's the mercies of God. So the first thing that we see here is the basis of commitment. The second thing that we see is the character of commitment, the character of commitment. What does commitment look like? Let's look at verse one again. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now we see a couple of things here about what commitment to Christ looks like. First of all, it's total. He says that we are to uh, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the word present here can also be translated as offer. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that, um, it's sort of a technical word that was used for offerings. Paul is drawing here on his Jewish background, and, and he's, he's recalling the offerings that were made before God in the temple. But unlike the offerings of the, of the bodies of dead animals that were made in the temple, he says that now in the new covenant, we offer our own living bodies as sacrifices before the Lord. And when he talks about bodies here, he's not just talking about skin and bones. He's talking about the totality of who we are. So he's saying, offer the totality of yourself. Everything, everything that you are before the Lord each day as a, a living sacrifice. Say, Lord, here I am. All of me. Everything I am. You know, I, I place on the altar before you. Um, so, again, when he talks about offer your bodies, it's not just skin and bones, it's the totality of who you are, but who you are is linked to your body. When you, when you look at scripture, what you do with the body is a big deal because it's a reflection of your heart. So, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it'll be on the screen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, 
For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Again, in in Romans 6.13, he says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So look, it should be no surprise here, again, looking at Romans 12, 1, that he calls us here to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. During the the 1980s, uh, the early 80s, one one of the pop songs that spent the most time as a number one hit was the song Physical by Olivia Newton John. Uh, that was a really cheesy song, by the way. Uh, I love Grease, so if you're an Olivia Newton-John fan, sorry, I, I like Grease, but Physical, that's a really cheesy song. And the video was even worse, because the video uh, featured, uh, like, you know, aerobics, <laughs> aerobics class and people in, like, really bad early 80s uh, fashion fitness, um, and I can still remember, I, they play the song so much, I can still remember the words of this stupid song, uh, let's get physical, physical, let me hear your body talk. Well, Paul here is saying that when it, when it comes to Christian commitment, let's get physical, because your body, what you do with your body is talking. It is telling a story about what is going on in your heart. Now part of what he's talking about here for sure is sexual purity, but it's not limited to that, right? It's, it's the totality of your body, right? It's the way that you use your, your mind and your, your eyes and your Mouth, the words that you speak, it's you know, what you do with your hands, it's where your, your feet take you. And so you can't divorce that from what commitment is. So you, know, you can talk about being committed to Jesus, but if your body is plopped down for hours looking at you know, TV or uh, buried in a screen of some sort, and you're not really using that, your body for the things of God, then I mean, how committed are you? You can talk about commitment to Jesus, but you know, if you would rather spend uh, your Sunday morning uh, with your body plopped down on sand, you know, or your body plopped down at St. Mattress Baptist Church, you know, or you know, your body pursuing some, some hobby, I mean, like, how committed are you really? So like what we do with our body is, is a big deal because it's a reflection of the condition of, of our hearts. So part of the character of commitment is that it's total. Like offer your bodies, offer the totality of who you are to the Lord. It's also logical. What does he say here at the end of verse one? He says, which is your spiritual uh, worship. Now scholars really toy with how to translate the end of verse one, but the word that's translated here as spiritual is, is logikos. It's the word that we get logical from. And I think that what Paul is saying here is that to offer the totality of who you are to the Lord is really the only thing that makes sense. 
I mean, it's the only logical, reasonable response to the mercies of God that you have received in Christ. I mean, to, to say, well, Lord, I'm going to offer you this part of my life and I'm going to withhold this part of my life, that doesn't make sense. Not, not in light of what Jesus has done. Now, the, the rational, logical thing is for us to place our whole selves, all of ourselves, on the altar before God. That's the character of commitment, right? It's total. It's logical. Third, the commands of commitment. The commands of commitment. Let's check out verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here in in verse 2, two commands, one negative and one positive. He begins here with a negative command, do not be conformed to this world. Um, It's interesting, in in the songs that we sung earlier, I I saw the word scheme at least twice. Um, And that's where this word conformed comes from. The Greek word is schema. It's where we get the English word scheme. And listen, there is a scheme. (laughs) Ultimately satanic in nature to get us to conform to this world. The the scheme is for us to be sort of poured into the mold of this world. And we are to resist that. And part of the way that we resist it is to be aware of it. That's half the battle. You need to understand that this world is seeking to conform you. This world is preaching to you. I get to preach to you a very limited amount of time each week, but the world is preaching to you every day. So the media is preaching to you, Um, Hollywood, is preaching to you, seeking to get you to conform your thinking to their views of, you know, of, of morality, of, of, of values, to get, conform your worldview. Uh, the, the news is seeking to, uh, to conform you and trying to influence you to think one way or the other. And as believers, especially in our culture, we need to understand that our thinking should never be, we should never, the moment that we try to start conforming our thinking to, a, to the platform of a political party, that's a problem. Now we need to look at every issue, no matter what it is, in light of God's word. So it's God's word that's conforming our, our thinking on every, on every issue. Right? The, the, the world is trying to get you to conform. I mean, especially, I uh, think about students I think that was like for me as a student, like where uh, there, there, was a, there was kind of a subtle pressure, sometimes not so subtle pressure, to kind of um, conform. It's interesting, you know, and I was, I was one of these kids who really, really struggled uh, with this. But, you know, when we talk about you know, kids getting involved in uh, bad, bad stuff or whatever, a lot of times we talk about uh, kids being in rebellion <laughs> but I can tell you from personal experience, it wasn't rebellion, it was conformity. <laughs> it was conformity. 
I was conforming, conforming to what people around me were, were doing. The, the only true nonconformist are people who are all out for Jesus Christ. But if you're going to stand for him, then you better be ready sometimes to stand alone. Well, those are just some kind of, those are kind of overt ways that the world is kind of trying to conform us. But there are more subtle ways there are more subtle messages that, that how the world is trying to conform us. I mean, I think about our attitude, for instance, towards money. The world is constantly trying to make us think that we need more and more of it, a lot of it, to be happy. When in reality, happiness doesn't come from that at all. The, the world wants you to think, uh, 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 conform your thinking about possessions, namely that you have to have more and more of the, more than what you need. See, that, that's, that's all from the world. That, that's, all, that's all part of the scheme to conform us to the pattern of this world. And the Bible says, resist that. Resist it. Be aware of it and resist it. Do not be conformed to this world, but, and here's the positive command, verse two again, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are to be transformed. That that word is uh, metamorpho, it's the word where we get the word metamorphosis from. So you have a metamorphosis in sort of the natural world and you know, tadpoles to frogs and, and caterpillars to butterflies. So the, the transformation from one form to another. <laughs> I think about as a kid, there was a pond behind my house and certain times of year uh, we would go out uh, and we would, we would uh, plunge buckets into the water and we'd come up and we'd have a bunch of, a bunch of tadpoles. But one day, I was out there doing that and I look over and there's the end result from the tadpole. There's a huge bullfrog, just massive thing on the bank of the pond. So I just quietly snuck away, went back to the garage and I got a frog, a a gig that my uncle Paul Robertson had given to me. And so I I got the, the gig and snuck back and wow, I plunged that gig right into that frog and I took that thing and I I marched into uh, the kitchen and I told my mom I said mom I want you to fry it I think she liked it better when I was stuck to the tadpoles but as believers and we're not to be stuck back in tadpole land caterpillar land We're we're to be transformed right now but how how does that happen but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. But that leads to another question. How does that happen? How do our minds get renewed by the Holy Spirit? But that leads to another question. How does the Spirit work? How does the Spirit work to renew our minds? Well, the Bible says there's a link between the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Ephesians six seventeen says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So God uses his word to renew our minds and to transform our lives. And if that's the case, then what that means is that we need a lot of the word of God. 
<laughs> we need lots of Bible intake, and not just on Sundays. Like, like we need to be digging. We need to be digging into our Bibles and you know meditating on 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 Scripture and memorizing Scripture and just you know plunging into into God's Word. So we need it uh, you know, in our own personal lives. We we need it in large groups like this. That's that's why kind of a, a core value of our church is expositional preaching. So we're digging into the Scripture. We need it in smaller groups in in Bible studies. You know, where we're, we're sitting around in a smaller group and encouraging one another with the word of God. Listen, we, we need lots and lots of Bible because the spirit works through the word to renew our minds. He works through prayer. We need a lot of prayer. He works through people. He works through our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we need the church. And we need it not just sort of being anonymous in the church, but by being a part of one another's lives. That's where all of the one another's come from in the New Testament. These people were involved with one another, in community with one another. God uses his people, uses his word, he uses prayer, as, a, as means by which the Spirit renews our minds. And we're transformed by the re- renewal of our, of our minds. Okay, fourth, we see the effect of commitment. What is the, what is the effect of commitment? Let's look at, the, at verse two again. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect? That's the effect, right? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, one, one of the questions that I get asked the most is, you know, how do I, how do I, how, how do I know God's will for me? And sometimes I, th- I think that a lot of believers think that you know, that's got to come through some mystical sign or something. And, you know, God could, God could, could work that way. But normally the way that he works and, and the way that he guides us into his perfect will is by giving us the basis to discern. There, there are so many believers who are lacking in discernment. And the reason they lack discernment is because a lot of them are biblically illiterate. They don't know the word. And so they can't, they don't, they can't think in biblical ways because they don't know enough scripture. And so the, again, this goes back to the role of the word in our, our lives. But listen, when, when we can discern, when we test everything, according to how it lines up with the word of God, then we can, we can discern the will of God. There, there, there can be a clarity, a clarity about our lives, about who we are, and about where we're going. And most of all, a clarity that we don't have to get there alone. <laughs> that we're not alone. No, 
No. The Spirit of God is with us to guide us, empower us, teach us. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for um, the presence of your Spirit. We thank you that we don't have to go it alone in this life. Father, we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for these incredible mercies of the gospel that we've been seeing in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And Lord, we look forward uh, over the course of, of chapters 12 through 16 as we, as we look at the latter part of, of Romans over these next uh, couple of months that you would speak to us and help us to, um, to flesh out what a commitment to you looks like on the ground, what it, what it means to, to walk with you. Father, I pray that your spirit would, would deal specifically uh, with, with all of us who are in this room right now, Lord. You, you know exactly um, the areas of our life that, that need to be encountered, that need to be brought in line with your word, the areas where we need conviction, and challenge, and encouragement, and comfort. And so, Lord, would you, would you work through the power of your Spirit in each one of our lives right now? And, Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know Christ. Father, I pray that you would open their heart to respond to the good news of the gospel, that they would see that there's a Savior who has been provided, who loves them, who bled and died for their sins, who rose from the dead, who's coming again, and that they can know him. And Father, I pray for, I pray for anyone who doesn't know Christ in this room to turn to Jesus right now in, in repentance and faith and say, Lord, I give my life to you. And Lord, may all of us, those of us who, who came into this room today, knowing you, Lord, if we are withholding any part of our lives from you, Lord, that is, that is irrational. It's wrong. Lord, may we surrender and offer every part of ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.